Podcast Answer Man, episode number 190. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. And of course, this is the weekly podcast where I try to help you take your production to the next level. Now, of course, I do that by sharing with you my own journey on how I'm always trying to take my productions, not just here at PodcastAnswerMan.com, but all my other shows over at GSPN.TV to the next level. And I, as many of you know by listening to me, have room to grow as well. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're a brand new podcaster, seasoned podcaster, we can all do something to take us to the next level. Well, my friends, I am excited because uh, I'm, well, I'm excited this week because I'm excited again. And I had a, basically a, a little bit of a spell there where I dealt with some strep throat and and came out of that and, and was busy with a bunch of other stuff and then went to a Christmas party, came down with a sinus infection and just not been very productive, been very unmotivated, uninspired. I, I think I might have shared a lot of that stuff last week, so I'm not going to bore you with all of that stuff again other than what I just did. And I'll just say this, that I feel like I'm coming out of that. I've I've been giving myself lots of rest, which I encourage you to do if, you, if you're a podcaster and you're starting to, to not feel so well, make sure that you're giving your body plenty of rest. Otherwise, you'll come down with bronchitis, you'll be coughing for in, you know behind the microphone for months, and your audience will hate it. But anyway, I have a show planned for today. I have three voicemail questions. How long should my podcast be? Uh, can you explain RSS feed for so that a two-year-old two can understand it? And I've got a specific question from my good friend Justin that I don't know that I'm going to have an answer for. But um, I'll I'll play the question anyway and see if I feel inspired at that moment. And then I'm going to share with you some thoughts on a a recent article that was forwarded to me from some friends uh, regarding uh, somebody that I look up to uh, very much, Leo Laporte. You guys have heard me mention him uh, many times, and I promise you there will be no Leo bashing today. I promise you that. So um, those are just some of the things that I'll share, and, and who knows, I might be inspired to share something else. I don't know. But the first thing we're going to do is turn over to the voicemail feedback hotline, and we're going to go to Tony, who, by the way, is my most recent uh, GSPN.TV Plus member. Thanks for signing up, Tony. So take it away. Hey, Cliff. My name is Tony. I've recently begun podcasting for my Jeep website as a value add for its members and also to make my Jeep site a little different. I've been getting great feedback from my members, and I was considering doing another podcast from our personal blog site. I am concerned that those podcasts might be too short in duration, 5, 10, or 15 minutes only. Do you think this is too short for a podcast? If so, what would be the minimum length podcast you would recommend? Thank you. All right. Tony, you're going to get me in trouble with that question. Anytime you ask me a question that is all subjective to people's opinions and their own personal tastes and stuff like that, um, I get in all sorts of trouble. And because they're, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you my personal opinion, my personal opinion. And, and, and I'm going to give you some reasons behind it. But I'm going to tell you, there is no formula for this. Uh, you can, you know, I will tell you, I listen to a show that I, um, that I would never have thought that I would ever listen to uh, as far as lengthwise on a weekly basis. And, and actually two of them. I listen to This Week in Tech. 
uh, by Leo Laporte and uh, Mac Break Weekly with Leo Laporte. Now, as long as Leo's on those shows, then I'll listen to him. If he's not on those shows, I usually don't listen to them. But here's what I'm going to recommend. Now, the thing is, is those shows are oftentimes, in fact, lately, most of the time, somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours in length. And I'll personally tell you, I don't like it. I I really, really wish that they were each one hour in length. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, they are, you know, they've been stretching them out. Sometimes I've seen them be in excess of two hours. Um, and, and what happens when it's more than an hour, well over an hour, um, then what happens is I find myself certainly skipping through certain sections. And once I start skipping certain sections, then I find myself feel, feeling less connected to the overall content of everything that's happening. And it makes it much easier for me to just skip an entire episode if I get far behind, especially when it comes to, you know, this time of year when things are busy, you know, we've got the end of year taxes coming up and all these other things. And, you know, when you're sick and you're not out, you know, you're doing your physical activity every day and you're not listening to podcasts all the time, you know, you can get easily behind. And when you're behind, when you've got an hour long show, sure, I can catch up on that. You know, I can maybe do a a day of cleaning or something like that, or I I could do some activities to fit those in, get them caught up. But man, if I'm two weeks behind on your two hour podcast, that's four hours of my life that I have to set aside to get caught up with the things that you've shared. Now, the thing is, is is that's just not always optional. It's, It's not always there. So I think, honestly, if you're doing a weekly show personally, I do not like them to be in excess of one hour. Now, when I say in excess of one hour, I mean, if it's one hour and eight minutes, I mean, that's, that's, that's what, that's okay. But when it gets to 90 minutes to two hours, uh, unless you're Leo Laporte and you have content that I really, really love and you have eight to 10 minute commercials about Audible and Fords that I can skip through, then, then it makes it bearable and, and then I'll probably listen. But, but honestly, if we were going to talk about the length of a podcast, I think really the hour is right about the time where I would start limiting things. Now, that wasn't your question. Your question is how short is too short? Now, I know there are plenty of podcasts out, out there that um, there there are several podcasts out there that are a minute in length. So it's like, you know, hey, today's here's your daily minute with, you know, on such and such. And they share they they basically spend a lot of time handcrafting a an outline a, basically a script of exactly what they're going to share and try to fit it into a 60 minute audio bite. Now, some people like those. I despise them personally. I, I think one minute is too le- too short. Uh, I, I I personally just don't like that at all. Um, there are several other podcasts out there, and especially um, my good friend uh, Mignon Fogarty actually has an entire network of shows called the Quick and Dirty uh, Podcast Network. So you got Quick and Dirty Tips about you know grammar, Quick and Dirty Tips about productivity, about nutrition. And stuff like that. And these shows are notoriously somewhere between, I'd say, four to seven minutes in length on average. Now, even these shows, in my personal opinion, are just a little short. I, I, I don't like how short they are. Although, I will tell you, there was a time when I actually did. I was on a what we call a nutrition diva um I don't know what you call that, uh, marathon. I, I, I basically went through and I found the Nutrition Diva and her shows were 
you know, very short, to the point. Each of them had one subject, one thing only. And, um, you know, I, I found it very interesting. The only thing is, though, is the show was, a you know, the Nutrition Diva, the podcast was normally about four to five minutes in length. And 60 seconds of that was the introduction of the show and an advertisement, or actually 60 to 90 seconds of it. And so what happened was, luckily, I was able to just, you know, I subscribed to them and download them all at once. And I listened to them over and over, you know, back to back, back to back, back to back. And my iPod set up in such a way that it will actually play them through in chronological order, which was kind of nice. So I didn't have to start and stop, start and stop. But the thing is, though, is I got sick of hearing the same ad every single episode. I mean, every I mean, I was literally bombarded with, you know, I would listen to let's just say I listened to, you know, 10 of these episodes, which would be about an hour. I had to listen to 10 60 to 90 second intros and advertisements in that hour 10 advertisements in one hour of podcasting now technically speaking it was you know those were all released one week apart but here's the thing if i'm going to subscribe to a podcast on a weekly basis and it's that short uh you know obviously you never want to just fill in time and so if that's all you got to say and you can be concrete and fast and your content is something that i desire to hear you know greatly then then i think that five minute format is going to be great but at the same time, I really don't like to listen to that something that short, usually, usually. Now, I am going to turn to my iTunes real quick, and I'm going to tell you the shortest podcast that I subscribe to, and it is Mac OS Ken, and his show is approximately, whoops, his show is approximately, my, my light in my studio just fell from the ceiling which tells me that there's been lots of jumping going on up in the in the uh, kitchen upstairs. I, I'll have to uh, fix that shortly. Interesting. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, so here's the deal. Uh, 10 to 15 minutes is on average what Mac OS Ken is. And he's very, he's, he's scripted. He's to the point. He's well edited. And he keeps it short and sweet. And he shares only the news about Mac and what's going on in the world of Mac. And he does that on a daily basis. I think if you're going to do a show that is multiple times a week, multiple shows per week, whether it be two or three or four or even five episodes a week, then I would recommend the 10 to 14 minute, you know, format as far as the the maximum. But I also, I, I think I found that, you know, 10 to 15 minutes is really the minimum I like to hear a podcast episode. Now for me, I think the sweet spot for a podcast is somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes. I really like shows that are somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes in length. And, you know, I certainly do plenty of shows myself that are between 30 to 60 minutes. And in fact, a majority, if not most all of my shows are right around 30 to 60 minutes in length. So again, those are all personal preferences. I, if anything, I'm going to tell you that that some of my reasons for not liking a shorter podcast, especially if you're a weekly, the fact is, is if I'm caught up on your show and I don't have to catch up on all your back archives and I'm just waiting for a new episode, you know, once a week or even once every other day and your show's only five minutes, you know, I have to create a playlist to put you in so that when I'm on the treadmill, I don't have to be searching for the next show after yours is done. Um, and especially if I'm driving, that that could be very dangerous, you know, switching from podcast to podcast. I go on road trips and I like to listen to good, uh, lengthy podcasts back to back. I don't usually bother with short format shows because 
I'm usually listening when I have um, ample amounts of time to to burn listening to content, such as a you know a thirty to sixty minute workout or or a good drive. So. Anyway, Tony, those are just my personal feelings. You're going to get a bunch of people who say they prefer short and sweet. I'd say the if I was going to give you one thing, if you only have 10 minutes of content in you, then only do 10 minutes of content. Don't stretch it out to 20 minutes uh, just because you want to have a, a longer format show. Say what you got to say and, and, and then let it be that. All right, moving right along, we're going to move to David who has a question about RSS. Hey, Cliff. This is David from allwhowander.us. First off, I want to say how much I enjoy and appreciate your podcast and the passion with which it's made, which I discovered you months ago. I'm currently in the throes of the maelstrom, which is setting up my infrastructure for the show. Forgive my ignorance, but I feel like a toddler trying to engineer a nuclear power plant. My questions are legion, but I'll stick with two. One, while setting up my RSS feed with FeedBurner, I had to stop right in the middle. It's a valid feed, but can I go back in and make changes, or do I have to start over with burning a new feed? While you're at it, could you explain just what all an RSS feed does, as if you were talking to a two-year-old? Question two, my podcast is on my WordPress homepage. I created a separate category slash page for my blog. How do I blog from that new page? Once again, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and I look forward to your response. Thanks again, man. Bye-bye. All right, David, thank you so much. Um, as far as your feed burner feed, one of the nice things is, yeah, if you got stuck in the middle and kind of had to walk away from the process of burning your feed burner feed and you had already created, you know, the, the you already pasted in your original feed from WordPress and and you already told it what your your new feed address with feed burner is going to be, um, then that feed is is there in feed burner. And so all you need to do is sign into feed burner and um, click on the title of the feed that, that's listed in the list there. And when you click on that, then what you want to do is click on Smart ca- Actually, uh, Customize. Let me... Yeah, I think it's... Uh, let me go into FeedBurner real quick here. Okay, so actually it is Optimize. So basically you go into your FeedBurner account and you'll see it says here My Feeds. And then you just click on the feed that you had started... And when you get into the actual dashboard of that feed, there's a bunch of tabs at the top. You just click optimize. And when you were setting your feed up the very first time, it was asking you for description and category and keywords and all that other stuff. Well, if you click on the optimize tab, the place where you were originally asked to enter all that information is listed under services on the left-hand side under SmartCast. And that is where you will go in and uh, basically... Uh, finish where you left off or where you ax, uh, where you actually um, uh, didn't get to to finish. So yeah, go back there. And of course, you can browse through all of those different settings and uh, you'll see that there's plenty there to play around with. Now, what is an RSS feed and can I explain it so that a two-year-old can understand it? Hmm, I guess so. Um, let me tell you, I, I, I come from the you know, my background is, is before this was insurance. I was in the world of insurance, which isn't really a technically advanced uh, world as far as it comes to tech, technology. Although they were doing some, some things with what we call, I think they called it web bridge, web bridge. And they, and it's, you know, they had these things called um, where you can do these things. Are they, are they called med, meta keys or, Oh goodness. What did they call that? Where, 
you can actually record screen uh, cl- clips of the mouse and and uh, stuff like that. I can't recall what they call those things now. But anyway, where it would automate keystrokes. It's like, hey, you know, go here, click this. Go here, click this. Type this into this field. Well, what happened was initially um, the insurance industry started to doing started to create some websites with what we call some standards. You know, standard formatting. So it it they basically what what happened was. The insurance company would say, hey, do you want to get a quote from us? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this thing into a certain format where we're the first the first open blank on the screen is going to ask for the first name. The second open blank is going to be the the, the last name. The third blank is going to be where you put in the social security number. And, and everything was done in a certain way so that if I had an agency management system, uh, such as, uh, well, it doesn't matter, I, uh, basically a computer software that kept all the information about my clients, I could actually, you know, it, it had all the information that was needed to fill in that web page in my computer software. Now, prior to the day of this web bridge, what would happen would be I'd have to actually, you know, switch between, you know, screens or windows. I'd say, okay, what, you know, or I'd actually have to print out all the information about my client, even though it's all on my computer. I'd have to print it all out and I'd have to go to the company's website and type in their name, type in their, all their cars, the vehicle identification number. I mean, everything about these clients. I had to manually enter all of that. Well, what they came up with was this way. It says, you know what? We we can write a program that will automate the the keystrokes for you. It will take the information from the fields where they are in your in your uh, you know your software where you keep all your client information, and it will basically pull all of, all of those things. And because we know exactly where this company is asking for those information, we'll actually go in and enter all that information for you. So basically it automated it because it the, the software, the keystrokes, you know, remembering software knew exactly where to put all that. So basically in the background, it's saying, hey, go here, take this, copy this information, go over to this website, paste it here. Copy, paste, copy, paste. And it was only able to do that if the website never changed. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, the company would change, you know, the form. And so they basically would add a new field or something like that. And that would break everything because the formatting of the website changed. So, so the problem with automating, you know, all of these different things was the fact that everybody wanted a website that they could change and, and could look the same. And, and so it broke away from the standards. And and today, you know, my website looks different than your website does. The thing is, though, is is that um, this idea of RSS, really simple syndication, came about. And the problem was is that not necessarily inputting information, but just reading our information. So so I, I shared the the inputting of information to share with you the difference between a standard, you know, and then all of a sudden how that can quickly break if you're trying to do things the way the website used to look or pulling information from the way it used to look. Now, the thing is, is that, so let's talk about not putting information into a website, but pulling information out of a website. And why would we want to do this? Well, the thing is, is let's just say I, I read David's blog and then I read Tony's blog and I read Justin's blog and I read Leo's blog and I'm reading all these people's blogs. But the thing is, some of these people blog daily, some of them blog weekly, some of them just blog whenever they have a wild hair sticking out of their nose or whatever. 
Um, and so, so basically, whatever the case may be, the fact is, is back in the early days, we were all bookmarking all these blogs. And I remember spending, you know, 30 minutes actually just going through my bookmarks to see if any of my friends updated any of their blogs. And usually out of, you know, 20 different blogs that I had bookmarked, there was usually on a daily basis about one one to three of them that were updated. And I could read that update and yay, it was fun. But I spent a lot of time, re, you know, looking at 17 different web pages that didn't have anything new at all. Now, the thing is, is with the, you know, customization of the, you know, of, of the web, you know, the, if everybody blogged and and did their websites exactly the same way, meaning that, you know, the title was always the first thing, the the date was always the next thing, the author's name was the next thing and all this other stuff. And then the content, you know, the blog post itself was the fifth element down. Then you could create software that would actually, where you could actually say, hey, go to this website and scrape the information off of the website and bring it to me if there's something new and do it in a format that just looks nice on on my reading end of things to where everybody everybody that I read, it all pretty much looks the same, kind of like a newspaper. Just deliver it to me. Now, if we all formatted our websites the same way we could just create set we should we could just create software that would go to your website address and would scrape that information off and it's and also it could even say hey let me look at your site oh that looks exactly the same way it was the last time i looked at it i don't need to pull anything new because you know the date and the title is the same as the you know for the at the top of your page is the same as what it was the last time well the thing is, is, is my blog might have my, my name and date and, and, uh, the author name and all that other stuff at the bottom of the blog post instead of the top. And that's, that's where things get, got a little crazy. And so you couldn't re- make this, um, website scraping software anymore. So what happened was some folks got together and they decided to create this thing called RSS, which is a standard of publishing data. And and basically, it happens in the background, and it typically was meant to, to work automatically with this software that you're using to create your website anyway, this content management system. So that, sure, I can make my website look exactly the way I want it. Matter of fact, if I wanted to, I could actually have the content of my blog be at the top. And if I wanted to, I could actually make the title of the blog post vertically, you know, going vertically up from the top to the bottom on the so- on the right-hand side of the content if I want to on my website. And and the, it's just my prerogative. I can be as creative with the design and and put elements all over the place. I can add and take things away and and it won't break anything. But RSS, the RSS feed is is basically saying, "Hey, we're going to create another version of the output of your your content from your site and we're going to create a uh, and, and it's going to be a standard and everybody's going to do it exactly the same way. And so basically it, it's doing kind of what that web bridge software is it's like, listen, we're going to go into your, into your content here and we're going to pull the title. And I know that on your content, on your site, on your website and your design, you like to put the content vertically on the right hand side of the, of the blog post, which is just crazy. But hey, you know, for RSS, we're putting the the title of your post front and center. It's it's item number one. Item number two, we're looking for the 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 name of the author. Item number three, we're looking for the the date. Item number four, we're looking for um, the content, and and we're going to put this out in a standard way so that everybody's RSS feed is formulated in the same way. And that made it ability made the ability for RSS readers to actually 
be able to go out and search people's websites, not their public site, but their RSS feed. Gave them the ability to actually go look at Robert's RSS feed, uh, David's RSS feed, you know, Leo's RSS feed, Tony's RSS feed, Justin's RSS feed. They all, they, all the RSS feeds look and are formatted exactly the same way. And then therefore I can actually subscribe to those RSS feeds and my reading software can go and say, Hey, is there any new data since the last time I checked? And if there is, bring it in. And bring, just bring me the information. Don't bring me the website and the design. Just bring me the information and put it on my screen for me. And that's what RSS made available. So if you go to reader.google.com, it's my favorite RSS reader. And it allows me to subscribe to many blogs. And here's the, here's the coolest thing in the world. I no longer have to, I can subscribe to 20 different blogs. And if only three people update their blog today, then when I go to Google, you know, reader.google.com or google.com slash reader, then basically what happens is I only see three new updates. It's like, hey, you have three different out of all the all the websites that you're subscribed to. Only three of them have an update. And by the way, here those are. And I can click on those stories and I read them right from my program and I get all the content and, and I get it without having to come to your website. It gets delivered to me. That's that's the whole syndicating it out, sending it out. And and the nice thing is that's all done automatically. So what happened was Dave Weiner and I think, um, uh, oh gosh, Adam Curry got together and started to think about, you know, hey, I wonder if we could attach um, a, a media file, whether it be audio or video. Can can we attach a media file to this and create a, a, a software uh, that instead of just pulling text, we'll pull audio files. And then we could deliver audio via RSS. And it's, so basically, it was kind of like taking email, and it's like, hey, I wonder if we can attach a file, an image to this, and send an, an email attachment. Well, it's kind of like taking that, and, and that's what we call enclosing. So, so they added a, a new, you know, a standard uh, for communicating in RSS called enclosures. And and if you add some code for an enclosure, basically what it says is, hey, this RSS feed, you know, not only is there the title, not only is there the author, the date this was posted, and 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 a and all the content of the actual text content of the blog itself, but there's also, hey, wait, there's also a thing here. It says enclosure. Hey, there's a file that is in, that is included with this piece of documentation on the website. And by the way, here is a link to where you can find that MP3 file or that video file or that audio or video file. And and so basically the RSS is just cr- basically shows that hey there's an enclosed or an attached or or an intended audio or video file to go with this could be PDF even as well. But anyway, um you know and and if you're going to be reading this, hey, go grab grab this R- uh, this audio file as well. So then you can create what's called pod catching software. And there's back in the early days, there was all kinds of podcatching software out there. And then today there are still several to choose from. The most popular of which is iTunes. Uh, iTunes started to include this, um, this ability to read RSS feeds and specifically just to see if there were any media enclosures on them. And if there are, then it will actually bring not all of the content, but it will actually bring in the audio file. It'll bring the, the title, 
It'll bring in the the author name. It'll bring in you know the the subject, and and it does bring in the notes as we're going to find out with um, Justin in just a minute. It'll bring in the you know a little bit of the blog post as well, and but specifically, it's meant to actually pull in the audio file. So when it sees my RSS feed and it says, hey, Cliff has a file hosted on Libsyn at this website address and it's enclosed with this particular blog post on my site in the RSS feed, by golly, I'm going to go and download that file for Cliff and bring it into his iTunes. And so that's what's happening is the RSS feed is notifying iTunes or other podcatching software that there is a file enclosed or meant to be attached to this particular post and it tells it what the website address is so that software can then go and automatically download that podcast for you. Now, whether or not that was clear enough for a two-year-old, I doubt it. But hopefully, that makes a lot of sense about what's going on in the world of podcasting. So sure, I can put a podcast, uh, uh, this recording, this MP3 audio recording of my voice for episode 190 on my website. And if I had no RSS feed, this would not be a podcast. This would be audio, an audio recording that is made available for you to play from my website. You would have to come to my website, click the play button or download the MP3 for yourself and, and listen to it. That is not a podcast. However, what makes it a podcast is the fact that my site, especially since I use WordPress, automatically includes RSS in the background, and I am going through and using the, some special code, and I am currently using the uh, Blueberry PowerPress plugin to do my enclosures for me automatically. I could do it by hand if I want to, but I choose not to. Um, but anyway, I, I use the Blueberry plugin. PodPress, PowerPress. I hate PodPress, by the way. Um, PowerPress plugin, and I, and, and matter of fact, it's the only thing that I use Blueberry PowerPress for. I don't use it for any of its other functionality. I only use it for the functionality of doing my media enclosure. And so I go and I create a blog post, and I I post in the URL and hit verify. It does the media enclosure, puts the code in the RSS feed for me. So that as soon as I hit publish on my site, yes, you can listen to it from my website, but anybody who subscribed to the RSS feed itself, as soon as their reader or podcatcher goes and looks to see if there's anything new, which you can set iTunes to do hourly, even if you wanted to, um, it will say, hey, there's a new, there's something new here. And if I have the enclosure done properly, it will actually see that there's an MP3 enclosure or an audio enclosure for me, and it will look for the link to the URL of that file, which it'll find it most of the time, most all the time on my Lipson account, and it will go and download that for my audience and put it on their computers. And that's what RSS does. And it's able to do that because we're all using the same standard um, communicating web language and all the all of my my website is uh, my website RSS feed is formulated much the same ways that yours is. Now, with that being said, there are some other um, RSS languages that are out there, um, and and so there are like two or three different standards right now. There might even be more than that, but uh, they all pretty much function and work in the same way. And so, hopefully, that helps you understand a little bit of that, and it wasn't completely boring. All right, I'm going to go next to Justin's question, which um, I'm just going to play it just because he sent it in. And I think that I'm going to tell him that I may not have an answer for him. So uh, let's go ahead and see what Justin's question is now. 
Cliff, Justin Lucasavage at CoachRadio.tv. Thanks for all you do on the podcast, Answer Man. I've been a listener for a long time. I've got a question about iTunes. In my description, I've got this big white blank space that there's just nothing. And then I've got, uh, you can start seeing some words after that. And I'm nearly positive it's because I have a Facebook like button plug in. And I also have a tweet meme button on the very top of my post. I'm wondering if there's a way that I can keep those there but also fill something in on the description that comes through to iTunes. Right now I'm using the KG Enclosure Flex, and I don't know if the Enclosure has anything to do with that. I thought maybe if I tried the PowerPress plugin, but I didn't want to put unnecessary time into trying to get that figured out if that wasn't going to fix it. So like to know your thoughts on what you think uh, might be done there. Uh, maybe I have to move those to the bottom which I also do a lot of uh, blogging at Coach Radio. So I like to keep that at the top of, if at all possible, but uh, I'll leave it up to you to let me know what I should do. Thanks, Cliff, for all you do. All right. Well, I thought it might be inspired. Well, actually, I didn't. Obviously, I had a little confidence that I would be inspired, but now I am actually inspired to give you some thoughts on this, Justin. And the first thing is, is, is you said, I don't know if it is, but I suspect it might be because I have the tweet meme or the Facebook like plugin. Well, here's the deal. Before messing anything up, you could easily find that out just by going in and adjusting some things. So for example, you could go to your site over at coachradio.tv, which is a great site if anybody wants to go check it out, by the way. Uh, Justin's a good friend of mine. He has great content over there that's very inspirational. But um, anyway, what you could do is you could go in and uh, deactivate. You don't have to uninstall or remove it. Just deactivate um, both of those plugins and then go in and and you know do a fresh resync of your feedburner feed so i would go into feedburner.com um, and and then go into your specific feed and i would go to the troubleshoot ties tab and i would actually scroll all the way to the bottom and do resync and what that does is it forces feedburner to ignore to toss out any information it has about your rss feed and go get it brand new and recreate a new feedburner version of your rss feed um, from you know there now if you have any caching p- plugins you definitely need to turn them off uh you know because otherwise you know you're even though you've deactivated some of your plugins your your um your your site's not going to change because your caching uh plugins are keeping a cached version of your rss feed you need to deactivate any super cache or wp cache plugins that you have to to make any of this work so anyway um make sure you have your caching turned off and then deactivated deactivate those other plugins that you think might be the potential go into feedburner resync your feed and then uh, see if that doesn't immediately bring back your, you know, refresh your iTunes. You might even want to unsubscribe from your podcast and resubscribe, download the most recent episode and see if that puts those back in there. If that is, then that's your problem and and therefore you've solved that. And then the question is, you know, can you move those down someplace else and, and what have you? Um, I can't imagine that it's your enclosure that would you, you had asked if it might be your enclosure. I can't imagine it would be your enclosure that's causing that. Uh, KG Enclosure Flex, whether they're doing your enclosure or whether you let PowerPress do your enclosure, that shouldn't matter at all. Although I will say that PowerPress does do some optimizing of your RSS feed in such a way that it does cause some things to happen in a different way. And, um, you know, you know, trying out the Blueberry PowerPress uh, plugin may be an option for you. Of course, you you would want to consider uh, deactivating KG Enclosure Flex and then instead using their their actual um, enclosure tool. 
now, obviously, the reason why I say this is difficult to answer, I mean, obviously, I'm just not there to see what's all going on. These are just ideas off the top of my head. And these are also very specific to Justin's setup, which I have to be happen to be very familiar with. Um, so that's the only reason I'm able to even ask answer this much because I, I know enough about Justin and his setup um, to know exactly how what he's using there. But anyway, um, you know, those are the only things I can tell you. It's it, it really your situation, you know, is a troubleshooting that's something that would be a case by case scenario. So hopefully that information helps. But uh, that's what I would do. I would deactivate and uh, reactivate. Uh, those plugins and see if that that solves it. Anyway, I'm going to move on to um, a story that I was made aware of just recently. And this was a an article in the New York Times about Leo Laporte. Now, um, the article uh, was forwarded to me by two friends, uh, Stephen Cross and Bruce Knox, uh, the same day that it appeared in the New York Times it uh, showed up. Now, it's a good thing. I just actually clicked on the link and it says here, please log in. Uh, so uh, I guess maybe it's available on their site without logging in for a little while and then it disappears into the archives and you have to pay to get it. So I'm glad I got it when I did. I'll put a link to the article in the show notes, but know that you may not be able to get the full article. But that's okay because I took some notes on the article and I wanted to share with you some Interesting things. Now, if you don't know who Leo Laporte is, um, I, I would just encourage you to go to Google and just do a search for Leo Laporte. He is somebody who has been probably, well, he was the one who introduced me to podcasting for the very first time. He's the one who actually personally uh, recommended that I buy the Heil PR40 microphone, which I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that advice. And if you listen to the archives of Podcast Answer Man, he's also a person who has been notorious for saying podcasting is dead. And, uh, and of course you've heard, you know, if you listen to those episodes, you've heard me say that I just happen to know that, that, you know, that's just not the case. And, and, and I think it's wrong for Leo to say that just due to the fact that, you know, he, his podcasting empire is very much alive and what he is doing is podcasting and what's making him successful is podcasting. And, um, and that is not dead. And uh, again, I'm not going to rehash any old arguments of, in, in that case, but I'm just going pull to pull from the article a couple quotes. And all of these are, by the way, quotes from the author of the article. Um, and one of the quotes here, it says, This Week in Tech, which is downloaded by a quarter million people each week. So here we have a fresh, brand new, up-to-date up information on the number of people who are downloading uh, the the uh, episode, you know, the podcast of This Week in Tech on a weekly basis, which is 250,000 people each week, which is a great audience, uh, absolutely wonderful audience size. Uh, and and Leo has, has certainly benefited from the fact that he's had so many years of experience in the media world, and he had a ca- massive cable television network such as ZDTV, later known as Tech TV, that really brought him to a ton of people, attention of literally, I would say millions of people, including myself. That's where I first heard about Leo Laporte. And if it wasn't for Tech TV and ZDTV, I wouldn't have heard about Leo. And chances are I may not have heard about uh, podcasting as early as I did. But anyway, um, but yeah, so quarter of a million people. So in his, and by the way, he's always said that his audience grows uh, by about two I think it's 2% per month. So if you think about that, his This Week in Tech, 250, 
thousand. So there's two hundred fifty thousand times point zero two. So he adds about five thousand new subscribers per month, uh, approximately. So there you go. I, I I think that that's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, I think it shows some uh, viability in the world of podcasting and its growth. And uh, I, th- I think, I think. Uh, by the way, This Week in Tech, my favorite podcast. It really is. It is my favorite podcast that I listen to. Very first podcast I ever listened to, and it's the one I still listen to today. And, and I don't think I've ever missed an episode um, as far as at least the first few minutes. There are a couple episodes uh, where they've had either where Leo was not on the show or where Leo was on the show and... And and some of maybe one or two of the guests were just so annoying that I had to I just gave up that episode. Um, and I have been I think I may have been behind a week or two once or twice, and I've decided to to delete an episode. But still, out of I, I think probably hundreds of episodes for at least five years now, I've listened to most all of them. So anyway, um, here's another interesting quote from the article. Twit's advertising revenue doubled in each of the last two years and is expected to total four to five million dollars in 2010. And this is consistent with all the other stuff I've read about Leo and other interviews and even speaking engagements that Leo has done. So here he is, a podcasting network. And if you've listened to the most recent episode that I did about Leo Laporte, you know that all of his most, he actually said with his own words, most all of his revenue. Uh, I mean, literally almost all of his revenue comes in from his downloadable audio subscribable podcast. That's where his advertising revenue is coming from. So audio podcasting revenue, some bringing in advertising revenue coming in four to five million dollars for 2010. Very awesome. Very encouraging number. Now, here's what the article says. It says starting at forty dollars per thousand listeners. Twit's ad rates are among the highest in American podcast in American podcasting and are considerably higher than commercial broadcasting rates, which are typically five to fifteen dollars per thousand listeners. Now, I want to tell you um, that you know I, I think that I, I guess maybe if you consider solid advertisement, although I consider what he has as is uh, more of a sponsor relationship than than pure advertisement. But he he is doing a CPM, which is cost per thousand. Um, and I know that doesn't make sense, but it, I think it's uh, cost per you know uh, per meal. I can't remember what the technical term was. Uh, it was I think it's from Latin or whatever. But anyway, it's a uh, cost per thousand, and he you know charges forty dollars per thousand listens or downloads of his show. And so, therefore, that's where he's, you know, calculating that. And if you add two hundred, if you get two hundred fifty thousand people listening to you, sure, that can add up to a lot of money. And he's got a total of like twenty some odd shows that he does, and uh, not all of them, by the way. Twit is his most popular show. Um, so two hundred fifty thousand, not I, I would ha- I'd say the probably the next closest show would be Mac Break Weekly, and I would venture to say that it's probably got. If I had to guess, and and it is just a guess, maybe 150, 150, 100 to 150,000 subscribers, I could be off on that. It may be closer to 200,000. I'm not sure. But, and then, and then I would say it drops drastically from there, uh, into, but still dropping drastically from there is, is much bigger than most everything I have. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not, uh, knocking him or anything like that, but still, if when you have that many subscribers, $40 per thousand downloads is a, is a great way to go. But if you have 800 subscribers, 
500 subscribers, 200 subscribers, $40 per thousand isn't really going to do much for you. And the thing is, is I think that I think that is very much undervaluing um, you know, in a niche audience. Now the thing is he does a lot of broad audience. Of course, I don't know, tech tech geek, he's got a pretty niche audience as well. But still, well, especially with some of his smaller shows. This week in Google, this week in biotech. I mean, he's got some niche shows. So I think he could probably get by with with a higher cost per thousand and and stuff like that. Now, I want to say when it's the article, the New York Times says it's among the highest uh, in American podcasting. I want to tell you right now, there are there have been on more than one occasion where I've had a podcast. And in fact, I still have two actively where I'm getting more than $200 per thousand listens. And uh, both sponsors for both of those shows have been and are extremely satisfied. In fact, one sponsor is well is getting ready. We're, we're, we're entering into the point where we're now at our third annual anniversary of having them as a sponsor. And, and we're talking, you know, we're talking just a little bit more than $200 per thousand listeners for a particular podcast. And, and it's, and and the thing is, is their, their return on investment, they're monitoring on their end. And, uh, I have one that's tracking it just by additions of new clients and, and, and new prospects to, for people that actually even work at the company. And, and they've been extremely satisfied and, the other one tracks it through the use of a promo code that I give to my audience and ask them to use to get a di- they get a percentage discount off their purchases and um, it's it's also a way that they know that they're helping to support the content that we produce for that particular show and and I want to tell you I'm I'm making just over two hundred dollars per thousand listens uh, so so forty dollars per thousand um, you know that. A lot of people think that you have to have, you know, uh, 50,000, 100,000 subscribers to your show before you get to the point where you can start monetizing your show. And that's just not the case. If you do have 150,000, yes, you can very easily go out and do some CPM advertising and that's going to work out for you. But I just want to encourage those of you who are small niche podcasters, you only have 200, 500 people who are listening to your podcast about tennis about a, one particular topic, there is there's some real stuff that you can do with that. Um, I love here uh, that they quote the Edison research that was recently done about the state of the you know the current state of podcasting, which I hope to uh, you know bring you some insights from uh, in a future episode when I get some more time to go through the entire um, the entire report. But Edison research uh, did some stuff here, and it says Edison research. Research estimates that a quarter of all Americans over the age of 12 has have listened to or watched at least one podcast episode. Listen to that. One fourth of every American over the age of 12 has listened to or watched at least one podcast episode. That, my friends, is amazing and that is reported in the new york times and that was actually done by edison research and that is the same uh research company that does exit polls for political things that you see on the news all the time um again i'll bring some more stuff about that in the future episode anyway i love that the author says this i love this get this quote unquote here we go mr laporte has shown there is a lot of life 
in podcasting. My favorite quote of the article. Mr. Laporte has shown that there is a lot of life in podcasting. No question about that. All right. That is that by the way, any rant, any rant that I've ever given about Leo is just focused on the fact that podcasting is alive and that there is a lot of life in podcasting. And the New York Times, when they look at Leo Laporte and what he's done through audio podcasting and video podcasting, but again, all that revenue of 4 to $5 million 2010, almost all of it has come from audio podcasting, shows that Mr. Laporte has shown there is a lot of life in podcasting. Love it. Anyway, $20,000 a month is actually coming in in voluntary contributions that come in from the Twit website, which has a series of tip Leo buttons that set off uh, recurring monthly contributions of either $2, $5, or $10 a month. $20,000 a month of income is coming in from donations to Leo Laporte. And this, of course, is where Leo draws his salary from. Now, you know, Leo's business, obviously... Leo get probably, uh, like me, benefits from the perks of having the business buy a lot of technology things for you to research and talk about in your shows. So, I mean, obviously, Leo has a lot of things that he benefits there. But still, when it comes to his actual salary, he draws from his radio show that he does, uh, which he has a great radio show, by the way, uh, that's nationally syndicated. And, um, and, and as far as Twit is concerned, he draws his salary from... Uh, just those contributions, those voluntary donations that are made. So even though his business is making, you know, bringing in four to five million dollars of revenue from advertising each, you know, in 2010, he his his actual, you know, salary that he draws from is the twenty thousand per month that comes in to those donations. Pretty amazing stuff. There is a lot of life in podcasting. Okay. But it is, let's see, he, he says, it is the hundreds of hardcore tech fans in the show's chat room that makes podcasts work is what either Le, uh, Leo or uh, John C. Dvorak said. They serve as Mr. Laporte's researchers, fact checkers. Actually, that is, that is, uh, that's where he's quoting Leo. So basically, um, Leo talked about doing the live shows and the fact, and, and I actually have also seen this to be true. And I like having a chat room as long as, you know, and during the show live and, and having that, you know, that fact checking audience out there and researchers who can, you know, it's like when you're looking for something that they're, they're instantly going out and finding a link so they can post it in the chat room and, and stuff like that. It is really nice to have that most of the time when I'm doing a show such as this, I like to do it offline so that I'm not distracted. But when I have a co-host, which Leo almost always has a co-host uh, for his shows, he uh he's he's able to benefit greatly from the chat room being there to to be a fact checking uh source and and research and a source of research to to find information that he might need uh during the show it is very cool all right uh and it is one of the benefits of of having a live show now of course there are a lot of drawbacks to having a live show and i've shared about that in the past and if you have questions you can call in we can readdress that in the future but anyway next year the twit empire is expected to move into a larger building down the street from its current headquarters mr laporte plans to start a morning show this spring to compete with the drive time radio broadcasters so i i think that's interesting he's definitely going to you know i i know that he's interested in this move of 
of of live streaming and 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 not so much heavily emphasis on the time shifted ability and of course a morning show is probably going to be you know a much longer format and it's going to to be honest with you when you start to get into a two to three hour um daily commute show that's when it becomes to the point it's like i don't know if i really want to download uh that and be a subscriber of that daily content three hours a day but then again i think dave ramsey gets by with that doesn't he i think he has an hour he he broadcasts for three hours a day, five days a week on his nationally syndicated radio show. And uh, I, I think he gives one hour free each day of his podcast and and his monthly subscribers uh, get benefits, you know, multiple benefits. But one of them is they get his three hours every day <laughs> with I think even without commercials. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, so I don't know. I it just goes to show the length of a podcast is all subjective and and it's all about people's personal preference. Anyway, uh, last quote that I got here, it says, it's not as if um, I had a plan for all of this, Mr. Laporte said. It just kind of happened. It was almost as if this audience was waiting for the medium to come along. And I would say that is absolutely true. And I'm very excited for Leo Laporte. When Leo Laporte succeeds in this area, I succeed in this area. Um, Obviously, personally, I get a little defensive if, if somebody who succeeds so well uh, goes around telling the public that podcasting is dead. But I think, if anything, his words can say it all they want. But if there's anything that uh, speaks louder than that is the success that he's had in audio podcasting that even the New York Times says Mr. Laporte has shown that there is a lot of life in podcasting. And I think, my friends, we have a title. Well, that is going to do it here for this episode of Podcast Answer Man, and I am looking for that button right there. And I just want to say thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Again, I have been doing a lot of soul searching and self-reflection these past couple days uh, and weeks, and I have no idea what 2011 has in store for me. I do feel like I'm on the verge of, of... a breakthrough of some thoughts and inspiration that is quickly coming back to me. Uh, I don't know where that's going to lead, but uh, I am excited because you know I have no doubt that that things are going to grow here, and and I don't and I I hope to do it in such a way that I can get back to some of my roots and and really uh, focus on some values and principles that are important and dear to me, such as humility, respect. And, and and some things that I think maybe, you know, I, I, I lost sight of along the way. And, and of course, you know, obviously I don't want this to ever be all about the money, but I shared, uh, I think even last week, that, that that was where a heavy focus was for me. I still want to make lots of money. I'm not going to lie about that, but uh, I don't want that to be the controlling factor of the content that is released here on Podcast Answer Man moving forward. Interesting story since I have two minutes left to tell you is uh, I had somebody email me and uh, they said, hey, Cliff, would you mind taking a look at my website, listen to my podcast and give me some feedback? Now, of course, I don't normally have a lot of time to to do one on one evaluation of, you know, where people are in their podcasting because I do get, you know, 40 to 100 emails a day and have a desire to respond to everybody. But I did. I, t- I took some time. I actually clicked through to the site and I listened to the first two minutes of this person's podcast. And I gave some, you know, normally, I, by the way, I would never give you constructive criticism about your podcast. 
unless you've asked me. I, I personally, I, I, you know, I, I, I get a lot of it myself. So the thing is, is if you ask me to, to evaluate something, I, I'll give you my honest thoughts. And, and I won't say who this person is. I won't say the name of the show. I won't say the name of the link. But uh, the first th- thing I did is, is I said, number one, calm down a little bit. Slow down because you, you seem so rushed. And what happened was the first the first two minutes of the show was all about contact information. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on the website. Um, if you go to the website at the top, you see this. On the right-hand side, you can see where you can click this and you can do this. And at the beginning of the show, he says, you know, hey, we're going to get the, all the contact information out of the way at first. And he was so rushed. And I said, number one, slow down and be more calm and relaxed. And, and then your audience won't feel rushed along with you. And number two... You know, put your contact information at the end of your podcast. Assume every single person is listening to your show as the for the very first time. You know, or every assume every episode is going to be the first time that somebody is listening to your show. And chances are the first two minutes, if they if they don't get to the real meat of your show, they're gonna check out. And so the people who do want to contact you, who do want to follow you, they're gonna be around at the end of the show. Put that there. Anyway, I, I got an email back saying, oh, I've unsubscribed. You're horrible, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> you can't even win for listening, you know, taking two minutes, actually taking 20 minutes out of my day to try to help somebody who asked for my help. And then he told me how horrible of a person I am. Anyway, it is what it is. And I ran out of time. God bless you all. Happy New Year. Even for you, um, oh, who was it in? I can't remember who it is. Richard in Boston. Happy New Year to you even if it happens to be after the first of the year. I, I just hope everybody has a blessed 2011. I'm looking forward to it. God bless you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.